this evening we're going to be studying uh, the book of Philippians, and we'll be in chapter 3. Good evening, Don. Welcome. Thanks for uh, jumping on. So we're going to be studying Philippians chapter 3 together. So I'm excited to, to study God's Word, so we'll just jump right in. We have a few minutes together, and we'll, uh, we'll dig in and uh, just allow the Lord to guide us. So let me go ahead and open us in a word of prayer, and then we'll begin our study um, our study together. Lord, we thank you for a chance to be together. We thank you for the gift of a church, the gift of technology, um, the gift of communication. And uh, Father, we pray that you would prepare our hearts and our minds as we study your word. Um, teach us through your word, Father. We thank you for this wonderful epistle to the church of Philippi uh, that was written while the Apostle Paul was incarcerated. So a letter from jail. Um, and so, Lord, as we uh, open up our, our hearts and our minds to receive your word, allow us to be encouraged, allow us to be challenged, and uh, more, more than anything else, allow us to um, come into greater alignment with your will, with your purpose, with your character. Um, so we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let's go ahead and study Philippians chapter 3. If you have it, um, go ahead and open it up. Um, and... Um, I'm going to begin reading it and we'll just pause. And I think we should be able to get through the whole chapter this evening. There's only 21 verses, so I think we, we can do it. All right. So uh, chapter three, verse one. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. And it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If others think they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whoever, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. I'm going to go ahead and pause right there as we just read the first 11 verses of Philippians chapter 3. Um, so let's backtrack all the way back to verse 1. It says, further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. So the first verse that comes to us in this wonderful chapter is a verse that reminds us to rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. What does rejoicing in the Lord mean? What does it mean to rejoice in the Lord? Well, church, I believe that rejoicing in the Lord uh, means that we have access to a reality and a perception that, ha that allows us to see things that 
our normal eyes would not see. It, would, it allows us to perceive things that our earthly or human um, perception and understanding cannot fully comprehend. Um, the ability to rejoice is the ability to be full of God's joy, full of thanksgiving, full of awareness of how good God is, which then allows us to rejoice. Uh, when we don't have that kind of understanding about different things, then we can so easily take for granted all the things that should be um, uh, worship starters for us, things that cause us to want to glorify God, things that cause us to want to pray and give thanks. Uh, but if we're ignorant of those things, then we just walk right past those things without even recognizing the power that is within even the small things that God does in our life. Uh, for instance, just even having a day to live. You know, some people might say, oh man, I had a rough day. Well, guess what? You had a day. What a blessing. Not everybody had the gift of a day today. Uh, you had another day of life. And so even if it was a tough day, it was a day nonetheless. Um, so we begin by giving thanks for life. We begin by giving thanks for good health. Um, we begin by seeing all the things that we can be thankful for, all the things that we could celebrate, all the things that we could say, God, you are good. Um, and we don't run past those things or take those things for granted. I could say, thank you, Lord, for my beautiful family. Thank you, God, for a roof over my head. Thank you, Lord, for um, a, a wonderful a marriage, a wonderful wife, uh, who's my best friend. Um, and, and as long as we don't just quickly run past all of the things that God has blessed us with, and we pause for a moment to recognize God's goodness in our life, then that is what causes within us the ability to rejoice, to rejoice. It doesn't mean that we need to be um, happy all the time. There might be moments when uh, we are going through a difficult time and we're discouraged or, or sad. Um, uh, we could be heartbroken about something that we're going through, and that's okay. But we are always undergirded by the strength and foundation of God's goodness in our lives. The fact that Jesus loves us, the fact that he gave his life for us, uh, the fact that he's given us, um, uh, he's given us uh, an invitation to spend eternity with him. He's given us the invitation of his own presence. He's promised us by saying, I'll never leave you nor forsake us. And so the, the word of God consistently reminds us of all the things that we have access to which should cause us, especially if we're aware of those things, um, to rejoice, to say, thank you, Lord, uh, to say, God, you are so good, um, to, to have the joy of the Lord in our hearts and in our lives. And we can carry that with us. The beautiful thing about the joy of the Lord and rejoicing, as Paul encourages the church to do here in Philippians chapter three, is that it's not situational or conditional. Uh, the invitation to rejoice is connected to a bigger picture awareness and understanding of the fact that God is good, um, that his love surrounds us, that it's, it's going before us. Um, and, and as long as we can trust in the fact that our God, who is good, is with us and he'll, he'll never leave us nor forsake us, then we have reason to rejoice. We have reason to rejoice. I want you to also keep in mind, as I shared at the beginning when we first uh, began this evening, that Paul is writing with shackles on his wrists. He's writing this letter to the church in Philippi while he's in prison. Um, so, so you might think to yourself, how could I rejoice when I'm going through the various things that I'm going through right now? And what I would say is, well, we could follow the examples of those who are mature in their faith, like Paul, who even though he's imprisoned for sharing the gospel, will not allow the jail cell 
uh, and his situation and circumstance to hold him back from being able to rejoice. Uh, that with uh, shackles on his wrists and a pen in his hand, he writes Philippians and he says, rejoice. Um, so we can rejoice, um, no matter what we're going through, no matter what we're experiencing. Um, in fact, having the ability to rejoice in the midst of those challenges can often be our strength. Remember the word of God says, the joy of the Lord is our strength. So we don't wait to be out of our situation or circumstance to rejoice, but we rejoice our way out of uh, our situations and circumstances by being able to say, Lord, thank you. Thank you even for this. Um, and it's a, it's a, a, a state of continual uh, a recognition of God's goodness in our life. So he, he kicks off the chapter by saying, further, my brothers rejoice, he says, in the Lord. It is no trouble for me. And he continues to go on. Um, he, he then, the next part of this uh, chapter, he begins to uh, talk about a group of folks. And you, you can read a lot about this, this group um, also in other portions of scripture, Galatians particularly, that are talking about a group of people who were uh, trying to implement this very legalistic rule within the church that anybody who came to faith as a Gentile, meaning they were born not a Jew, but a Gentile. They were ethnically something else. Maybe they were, uh, maybe they were Greek. Maybe they were Italian uh, because they were from Rome. Um, maybe they were African. Maybe they were of, uh, of, of Middle East descent other than Jewish. Anyone that was not considered Jewish ethnically was probably not circumcised um, uh, when they were born. And so there were a group of believers who were uh, enforcing this rule that was created. It's not in the Bible anywhere, uh, not in the New Testament, um, but they were enforcing this rule with the new believers in the church that if you were a Gentile and you came to know Jesus, then you have to be circumcised. And so they were essentially trying to force grown men and older men uh, to go through the process of physical circumcision. So what Paul describes here in chapter three is he says, hey, don't get so caught up in the physical act of circumcision. He says, what's more important is whether or not we are a circumcised of the heart. And what he's saying there is don't worry about doing this medical operation on people to prove that they're Christian. Uh, where's their heart? Um, do they love Jesus? Are, are they committed to follow Christ? And if that's the case, then 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 let's let's not have them go through this whole, you know traumatic uh, experience just to prove that they're of the faith. And you know what that that reminds me of as we study the word together is as we as we pursue our own faithfulness unto God. You know, oftentimes in various churches, maybe sometimes even within our church, um, but you could definitely find it in a lot of other churches. In addition to the commandment to love God with all our heart, with all our soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself, we end up, as the church, putting on a lot of other rules and expectations on people, whether they be written or unwritten, and we can create cultures of legalism where all of a sudden people begin focusing on outer things uh, when they should be focusing on inner things, and they end up making uh, the path to follow Christ more difficult um, in, in the wrong ways. The path to follow Christ is already challenging. He says it's a narrow road and he says narrow is the path that leads to life, uh, but wide is the road that leads to destruction. So we know that it's not easy to follow Jesus, but that doesn't mean we need to put um, false, unnecessary obstacles and hurdles in the way of people as they try following, following Christ. Um, and so, you know, I think in a lot of ways, we have to keep that in mind as the church 
um, because oftentimes we can hold these uh, these standards and expectations of people, which end up being more of a uh, a, a distraction and more of a, uh, a an opportunity to control people as opposed to helping one another grow in our likeness with Christ. Um, I, I remember a, a time in our own church. You know, we've uh, we've 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 developed over the years in different ways, but I remember a time in our church at Mission Ebenezer Family Church where women were not allowed to wear pants to church. It was against the rules to wear pants at church. Um, some of you who are here on our, our prayer call this evening um, have grown up in, in churches like that, or maybe even here at our own church, where we had these extra rules that people had to follow that, you know, there's nothing in the Bible that says women cannot wear pants. Um, that you had to wear a, a long dress in order to come to church. Um, and, and so all that to say that those are some of the things that we have worked through to make sure that we're not creating these unnecessary hurdles and impediments to worshiping Jesus. We end up adding, you know, a thousand extra rules on top of what the Bible is asking us to do. And it ends up honestly being uh, the kind of thing that that creates a culture where people judge one another more. And it also is a huge um distractor and, and an obstacle for non-believers who are just trying to figure out who Jesus is. So um, so as we think about what Paul was talking about here in, in Philippians chapter 3, and he's saying to them, hey, stop trying to impose these extra rules on these Gentiles. Just let them follow Jesus. They don't need to get a physical circumcision in order to be a true Christian. So what are the extra rules that we might carry that are distracting and and secondary and not helpful to the purpose of helping to uh, um, encourage others to live according to the way of Christ? How are we teaching others to be selfless? How are we teaching others to forgive? How are we teaching others to live a life of holiness? How are we teaching others to serve? How are we teaching others to um, to to pursue the character of Christ, not necessarily creating a number of unnecessary rules? Um, and so, so I think this is, you know, just important to, to keep in mind that we, you know, we, we need to always make sure we're uh, evaluating and analyzing every situation so that we are uh, truly following the, uh, the, the interpretation and application of scripture and not uh, coming up with our own rules um, that, that are not biblical. Um, so, so then Paul continues in his argument here and he, he says, um, you know, he's talking now about boasting um, because he starts talking about different um, different ways that we have confidence. He says, if others think they have reason to be put their confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day. Uh, he's from Israel, tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews regarding the law of Pharisee as for zeal, persecuting the church as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. So what he's saying here, he's not bragging, so to speak. Um, but what he's doing is he's saying, if anybody has a room or a reason to be confident in their own ability, in their own status, in what they've accomplished, um, then uh, Paul is saying here, I've got that because I'm, I, I, I check all the boxes, uh, Paul is saying. I've, I've, I've been faithful. I've followed the law to the T. He goes, I've, I've been full of zeal. I was part of the group of folks who are persecuting Christians. He says, I've earned the right. If there was the ability to earn the right to boast in one's faith and in one's way of life. Um, but he says, but whatever were gains to me in verse seven, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Um, he says, what is more, 
I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Uh, so Paul then here is saying, um, even myself, he says, who you know, is uh, exemplary in all these different categories. He says, all of that stuff that would have been considered accolades, achievements, accomplishments, successes, he says, I consider all of that, uh, another version of the Bible says rubbish or garbage, trash, or dung is another expression. Uh, I consider all of these things that people think are, are accolades, he says, I consider that to be uh, rubbish. I consider that to be trash. Um, in comparison to knowing who Jesus is, to following Christ. He's saying, I leave that all behind. He says, the greatest thing that I have in my life, it isn't what I've accomplished, all of my trophies. The greatest thing I have is Jesus, what Jesus has done for me. Uh, Paul says, it's not in what I've been able to do and accomplish, but it's in what God was able to do for me. Um, and so we're, we're reminded as he's writing this, this letter to the church in Philippi, he's essentially saying to them, Let's not be arrogant. Um, let's not be overconfident. Let's not think we're better than others. Let's not um, uh, toot our own horn and, um, and let's not pat ourselves on the back for what we've done. He's essentially saying here, let's live in humility. Uh, let's live in, in humility with uh, God and with one another as we pursue faithfulness. Um, he says, I just want to know Jesus. And, uh, and he says, I, I want to be known by the fact that uh, Jesus loves me. Um, and so as we, as he writes this to the church and as we can glean from that, um, he says, we want uh, to pursue a righteousness, not that one that comes by the law, but a righteousness that comes from faith, a righteousness that comes from faith. Um, so again, this is going back a little bit to the, the, the legalism that we referred to those who were saying in order to be a, a true Christian, uh, we need to we need to make the Gentiles go through a physical circumcision. What he's saying here is, uh, don't allow whether or not somebody had a medical procedure to determine their righteousness. True righteousness is one that comes from faith in Christ. Um, so again, what are what are those kinds of markers that we often tend to look at that we can equate to righteousness? When in reality, a true pursuit of righteousness is one that is in faith. Um, in Christ. And so we, we definitely uh, don't want for ourselves to somehow uh, pass our, give ourselves or others a righteousness badge um, based on something outward. Um, but instead, we want to pursue righteousness that comes from faith. Um, so verse 12 says, not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. Um, let me read that one more time. This is a powerful verse. I know this is a verse that has uh, a lot of significance for us at Mission Ebenezer, um, especially as we are, uh, you know, those who want to challenge ourselves to pursue to pursue Christ. It says, not that I've already obtained all this. What is all this referring to? Paul is referring to the righteousness that comes by faith. 
Um, he's saying, I haven't gotten there yet. He says, um, I have not ar- arrived already at my goal. In other words, Paul's saying, I'm not perfect. I, I am not uh, uh, Jesus. But he says, I'm going to continue pursuing the likeness of Christ. He says, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. Um, So again, what we see here is Paul saying it's a daily race that we're called to run. Uh, We're not uh, called here to to somehow stay connected to all the things that we have done. Hey, I did this five years ago. Did you hear about what I did 10 years ago? Um, You see what I did last week? Uh, The Apostle Paul here is saying, all of that is in the past. What we have now is every single day to continue running after Christ. We continue running after Christ. How, How can my life be more and more molded to and formed to the likeness of Jesus? What are What areas in my life need to be worked on uh, in order for me to be a better reflection of Jesus? Um, in, in what ways can I uh, challenge myself to continue growing? Maybe it's in generosity. Maybe it's in forgiveness. Um, maybe it's in boldness and courage. Maybe it's in love and compassion. Um, in what ways? Uh, maybe I have a temper and I need for that temper that I have, that that frustration or rage or anger that can sometimes boil up, I need to give that to the Lord to say, Lord, continue working on me so that I'm a better reflection of you in that way. Um, maybe maybe we, uh, I know some folks who really struggle with trust, you know, um, they've gone through some different things and it's really difficult for them to place trust in people and in others. And, and maybe that's an area where we say, Lord, teach us, teach me how to trust. Um, and so there are there are different things for each of us that are are kind of opportunities to continue uh, honing in and focusing in on what it means to uh, to to pursue Christ, to take hold of Christ, um, to strain. Um, Paul uses this word. A lot of this imagery and metaphor language that we're seeing here in chapter three is is athletic language. Um, that Paul's using that's causing us to essentially say he's striving, he's competing, he's, ch- he's, he's training, if you will, for what it means to, to pursue Jesus. And he's saying, I haven't gotten there yet. I haven't attained it, but I'm going after it every single day is what he's saying here. Forgetting what's behind, straining toward what is ahead. He says, I press on, verse 14, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I press on toward the goal to win the prize. Go ahead and underline that, circle that, highlight that in your Bibles. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I love that. I love this language that Paul's using here. He says, I want to win it. I'm in it to win it, right? I'm, I'm not here to be complacent. I'm not here to, to get a uh, fourth place trophy, Paul's saying. Uh, he says, I, I want to go after Jesus like a champion goes after the trophy. Um, Paul's saying, I, I want to be known as somebody who is competitive for the gospel. And I, and I love that because I think too often in, in the church and in Christianity today, there's a softness that comes. There's, there's kind of a lack of competitiveness that comes. Um, but, but if we're really uh, trusting and, and pursuing God's word here, he's saying, uh, Paul is saying to us, we need to run after Jesus the same way 
that Usain Bolt and all these guys in the Olympics are running after the 100-yard dash to win. We need to run after the same way that a team's going after the Super Bowl championship or the, the World Series. We have to run after Jesus with the same kind of uh, effort, enthusiasm, with the same kind of vision and passion as we see those who are competing for, for first place. So in what ways am I doing that in my life? Have I gotten to a point where I'm, I'm okay, I'm cruising, I'm fine, I, I've gotten close enough? Um, or am I, am I like a champion getting up saying, how can I get better? What can I improve? In what area do I need to continue developing? What do I need to work on and practice in order for me to be even more of a faithful Christian in my own life? So this is a great reminder to us to press on. Forget about what's behind. Press on. We're going for the prize. We're going for the goal. Verse 15, it says, All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if some point, uh, point you, uh, and if at some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Think about that for a second, verse 17. I want to pause for a moment. Um, you know, oftentimes uh, as leaders, uh, and I know many folks on this, on this uh, Facebook um, meeting this evening are in leadership roles. And, uh, and oftentimes, you know, leaders can be reluctant to recognize that they are role models. Um, in fact, uh, you know, recently there's been a, a couple of professional athletes that came out, you know, and they, they uh, you know, made, made the news because they said they don't see themselves as role models. Well, believe it or not, like it or not, if they're, uh, you know, on TV, then people are going to be looking at them and following what they do. If they post something on social media, then you better believe young people are going to go and want to buy those shoes or wear that hat because what they do has influence uh, because they're a person of influence. And so I love that uh, Paul is uh, unashamed about that here in verse 17. He says, join together in following my example. And, and that's a bold statement, right? Because Paul just admitted a few verses ago that he's not perfect and that he's still pursuing Christ. So what he's saying here is he's not saying to the church in Philippi, follow me because I figured it out and I have no more learning to do. Uh, Paul's saying, I have plenty more learning to do. I haven't figured it out, but I'm on the right path and I want you to join me. Uh, I, I invite you to join me as I pursue Jesus as my example, as I pursue going for the prize. Uh, so Paul is, is uh, saying, uh, I, I am headed in the right direction. Whether or not I'm there uh, is beside the point. And he's saying to them, join together and follow my example. That's bold. Um, but we as leaders need to come to a place where we are okay with saying, follow my example. Um, I, you know, Paul said, I, I'm not perfect. He makes mis mistakes and he hasn't arrived there yet. But he is definitely making every effort every single day to do his best. Um, to pursue Jesus. And he's, he's not afraid to invite others to follow his example. Um, verse 18 says, For as I have often told you before, and now I tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him, to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Verse 20, I think it hits it right there when it says, but our citizenship, our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is 
in heaven. So I want us just to kind of uh, uh, reflect on that as we get ready to bring our time together this evening to a close. Reflect on that closing statement that our citizenship is in heaven. Let's not get too used to where we are. Let's not get used to the world that we live in. Our citizenship is in heaven. Um, that's where we belong. That's who we belong to. Um, God is at work in every single one of us. And as long as we keep that in mind, that our citizenship is in heaven, that we will continue daily to be renewed, daily to be transformed, daily to be encouraged, um, so that our lives will continue to reflect the character, the person, the work of Jesus in us. Our citizenship is in heaven. Your citizenship is in heaven. All right, so that's Philippians chapter 3. It starts off by saying, rejoice in the Lord. And it finishes by saying, our citizenship is in heaven. What a powerful chapter. Uh, of course, in there, one of the highlights that I encourage you to circle, highlight, and remember is those verses that say uh, that I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward. That's verse 14 in Christ Jesus. So a lot of good things here in Philippians chapter three. I hope you're encouraged by the word this evening. Thanks for tuning in and joining us. Hope that you have a wonderful rest of the evening and we really look forward to seeing you uh, back in worship again soon. And uh, God bless every single one of you. Uh, have a wonderful evening.